1: Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to Killer Queens. Or KQ, if you're nasty. Welcome to the show where two 90s-loving country chicks gab about true crime and tell each other to talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And we're sisters who have always loved true crime and decided to turn that obsession into a show with a light take on the topic. Kind of like diet true crime, it's all the flavor of fewer calories. Mm. Now, with our show, you'll get true crime, 90s nostalgia, and a few four-letter words sprinkled in. I always say that Polly Pockets and true crime go together like peas and carrots. Be sure to check out our case submission form on our website at killerqueenspodcast.com and follow us on social media and YouTube. Now grab your Sunny D, your Gushers, and your tie Beanie Baby, and let's get into the episode. Hey guys. Hey guys. We want to just like officially welcome everyone, all y'all out there, to the mixtape. Hey now. Hey now, because this is the first one that everybody's going to get. You want a mixtape? You got a mixtape. You got a mixtape. I was trying. You get a mixtape and you get a mixtape and you get a mixtape. Check under your chair. Everybody gets a mixtape. Now I feel like I'm incorrect about the date, possibly. But <laughs> either way, <laughs> watch it not be this one. Yeah, watch it not <laughs> be this one. Let's see. Um, oh, man. Nope, I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. Oh, thank God. Okay, because that would have been embarrassing. Whew. Yeah. Embarrassing. Um. So yeah. So this is you know basically just another case. Yep. Here we go. Let's do our trigger warnings. Guys, this is one that is going to trigger a lot of you. We have child molestation, gun violence, I guess technically murder and mm-hmm. rape. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. We do want to thank Olivia Hayes for requesting it. Hey girl, thanks. Yes, and thank you so much to Mark for writing it up. Hey girl, thanks. Yay, yay, yay. All right. So, I'm going to do a little a little episode description. I like that. Okay. In the small town of Jamestown, California, Daniel Mark Driver was on trial facing child abuse charges against multiple boys. Willie Nestler was a victim of drivers who was set to testify after a lunch break. But before he had the opportunity, his mother, Ellie, took matters into her own hands and shot Mm -hmm. Driver five times in the head and neck. Nestler would receive worldwide support and Mm condemnation. I knew it. And condemnation for her actions, which would spark a national debate about vigilantism. Uh, my laugh there was about the fact that we are recording this after lunch, and already we've made that apparent. We tend to jack it up after lunch, don't we? It's really sweet that you said we when it was clearly me. But thank you. Oh, I'm I'm about to do it. I'm sure. One hundred percent. Just give me it. Well, I mean, I already did. We record remotely using this uh, system called Cleanfeed. And I log into it. And then I invite Tori to the room and we record together. And so you type the person's name that you're inviting in their email address. And I just went on autopilot and was like, Torella. And then I was like, Torella? Like, I just typed my own damn email address and sent it. She invited herself. Yeah. And then I waited and I'm like, the fuck is she at? And I waited a while and I was just like, okay, I'll, you know, fart around, check my emails or whatever. And I was like, oh my God. I thought I'd been waiting for her, but. But I've been waiting for me. <laughs> it's what happens when you eat lunch and your brain is just mush. Well, and there are times when you send it to my email, but you put your name in. So I become Torella for however long. Sometimes I, I think about it and I do something silly like dumb bitch or something for her yeah. name. Mm-hmm. But uh, most of the time, I accidentally type my name. Because <laughs> she's obsessed with herself. I don't think <laughs> it's... Uh, I do that with my kids' forms too, you know? Like you'll get a form at the doctor's <laughs> right. office and you start filling it out and I'm like, Torella? Uh, oh, man. Mm-hmm. That... I can Can I have any though? form? right you're like rachel <laughs> i am such an idiot i put i put her name instead of mine <laughs> they're like okay all right um, so let's do it yeah yeah okay let's go stars oh. set in Jamestown, California. And Jamestown was established in 1848 during the California Gold Rush. When gold was discovered in Coloma, California in 1848, an estimated 300,000 people flocked to California from the rest of the U.S. and throughout the world. Over the course of its mining history, an estimated $30 million worth of gold and ore came out of mines in or around Jamestown. In pop culture, Jamestown is recognizable to some, because it was the location of scenes from Back to the Future 3 and Hidalgo. Hmm. Never seen either of them. But for the most part, it's just a small town without a lot of the hustle and bustle of the larger cities like Modesto, which is about 45 minutes or so southwest. Not minutes, it's miles. Is that, what did I say? You said minutes. Oh. Oh. (laughs) I calculate everything in minutes because Same. I don't know a mile if it slapped me right in the face. Nope, not at all. So I'm like, how many minutes is that going to take me, though? I don't care about miles. I know. Well, even yeah. if I'm like using my GPS and it says 0.3 miles, I'm like, OK. And then 20 seconds later, I'm like, am I there yet? No, no, you're not there yet. That's I don't yeah. know how long a mile is. Exactly. Yeah. No. To me, 45 miles. If you're going down the highway, you at should at 145 like minutes, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Modesto has a population of around 215,000. Jamestown has a population of around 3,300. No bigger than your mother's Jack Russell. Mm -mm. Ellie Nessler was one of three daughters and the oldest in the family. Her father was a coal miner and her mother Marie came from a family of hardworking people who didn't, quote, suffer fools, as people put it. I have heard this quote before. I don't suffer fools. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't suffer fools gladly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. Marie has been described as a prote- as protective as a mama bear when you go after her cub, but she also expected her children to be able to fend for themselves if the need arose. Everyone had to pull their own weight, and as a teen, Ellie began to take odd jobs and do whatever she could to bring in money for the family. Times were tough, and money was tight. She did everything from working on cattle ranches to digging ditches to repairing cars. Man, that's tough work. I know. When Ellie was very young, late teens, early 20s, she met and married a man, and then they pretty quickly divorced. And then after that, she met Bill Nessler. Bill was a miner like Ellie's father, and he was also a pilot who flew a crop duster. I can only think about my children and dogs crop dusting me all the time. (laughs) That's my experience with crop dusters. (laughs) See, I was thinking more like Independence Day with... Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is his name? Danny? Qu- no, something Quaid. Randy? Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid. Yes. And he would crop us the wrong field because he was drunk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can sometimes happen, I guess. Shit happens. Yes. The two married, and in 1982, they welcomed Willie Nestler into the world. Bill grew up in the area and knew all the stories and legends of the gold country. He'd heard about old-timers striking it rich with nothing more than a pan and determination. Old prospectors, eh? (laughs) He also knew that the land that surrounded them had been mined out years ago and there was very little left, so it was not enough to strike it rich. With that in mind, Bill moved the family to Liberia, West Africa. At the time, there was a new gold rush taking place there, bringing people from all over the world. While they were there, Ellie gave birth to the couple's daughter, Becky. Shortly after Becky was born, though, a civil war broke out and Ellie left with the children for their safety. Bill hung back in West Africa, and then Ellie came back to Jamestown. Back home, things were super tough financially. Ellie scraped by with assistance from the state and worked when she could. Although things were tough, Ellie had her family close by. She also had a support group at church that she leaned on. Growing up in a Christian home, faith was a big part of her life. She attended church regularly with her sister and her children. Ellie, like her mother, was very protective of Willie and Becky, Marie described them by saying, "quote We're we're like rattlesnakes. You don't know we're there until someone steps on us." Mm. I like these women. Like, mm-hmm. I think that everybody should have a rattle. You just oh. need to know. It's like that Reliant K song. All girls should have to wear mood rings. Yes, or like how cats do make that god awful like uh, mmm. oh gosh, yeah noise. I'm like oh, okay. Do not approach. Got it. I don't have that, but I have my eyebrows that go higher than my forehead. That's true. They hover somewhere right above your entire head. Yeah. So that's how you know. Yes. Yeah. When well, my eyebrow goes up, my husband's like, oh, shit. That <laughs> eyebrow for- is up. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> you best back out. Yeah, but if you had a rattle, it would be like, oh, okay, 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 okay. That's true. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should teach my eyebrows to rattle. I don't know, though. I have the Botox now, so... They're not going that anywhere. would be hysterical. It doesn't seem vibrating <laughs> on your forehead. <laughs> You're like... <"D-d-d-d-d-d-d-d."> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, man. We're stupid. Yeah, um. Yeah, yeah. So she also told Ellie and her sisters growing up that being a woman in the area meant that a lot of times you would be alone. Trust the Lord, but pack a pistol just in case. Man, she's got the one-liners, don't she? I mean. Do not seek trouble, but if trouble finds you, you strike first. Oof. I wish, I wish Marie began a self-defense dynasty Mm in the 70s or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then now it was an online thing that we could still access and get her wisdom over the years because (laughs) that's what we need. Exactly. As we mentioned, Ellie was very protective of her children and a lot of people thought a little too protective. She wouldn't let Willie go to friends' houses or have sleepovers, anything like that. I feel like Willie would have been like, because I'm over project dead oh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. probably yep hey you guys um it's us again yay it's us we threw you, we threw you for a loop on this one <laughs> uh so we know that a lot of you have been asking like WTF where are episodes 1 through 44 and guess what now you can have them so let's just remember though we need you to take a little caution here We didn't know exactly what we were doing back then. And we started this podcast as just a fun thing to do as sisters. We had no idea that it would grow into this super awesome club with you guys. So what we're saying is the audio wasn't super amazing, but the content is 100% us, just being us and talking about some true crime with 90s flair. Okay, so here are the details. You'll be able to access our, what we're calling OG episodes in your favorite podcast app through a private and custom RSS feed link. So to grab that, head over to killerqueens.link slash OG and snag episodes one through 44 today. That's killerqueens.link slash OG. In the summer of 1988, their church was getting ready to have their annual sleepaway camp for the children. So Willie, who was six years old at the time, was absolutely begging and pleading Ellie to let him go. He really wanted to go. And at first she was like, absolutely not. Like, no, maybe if you, no, what if you, no, (laughs) no, no. But Ellie had a reason to be this protective of her children. And it came from her own childhood. She had been molested when she was around Willie's age and she told her mother what happened. And again, this is another reason I love Marie because like there are times that children will tell their parents and their parents will not believe them. Mm -hmm. And Marie not only believed Ellie, she chased the man with a shotgun and told him that if he didn't leave town, he'd be leaving in a pine box. I mean, she She, really takes matters into her own hands, doesn't she? Yeah. She's like, bitch, you got um, two options here Mm -hmm. and that's it death's coming and hell's coming with me. You know what I mean? That's damn right. So as the camp got closer and closer, Willie kept asking to go. And eventually Willie's aunt Jan talked Ellie into letting Willie go, saying that Willie's going to be with people that like we know, we trust from the church. Like These are not random people. He'll be safe. This is sad. It's really sad. For three weeks, Willie camped and lived in cabins with his friends and made arts and crafts. Before he left, Willie was stoked. He was excited to go uh, to this camp. He was super excited about everything. When he came back, though, he was a different person altogether. He was a shell of himself, oftentimes just angry or sad. All of his family members tried to talk to him, but Willie told them to leave him alone and to stop treating him like a baby. Ellie and her sister talked and thought, maybe... This was an effect of, like, seeing other kids with father figures in their lives. um, And it made him miss his own father at this point. And it's not really clear why, but Bill is just no longer in the picture. He never came back over from Africa or I don't know. Yeah. But he's not in the picture anymore. Ellie hoped this was only a phase. And once Willie returned to school in a few weeks, she was hoping everything would be back to normal. So when Willie started back at school, things unfortunately did not get better. They actually got worse, and he began to pull further away. He would have violent outbursts and get into fights, and it would almost be a year before anybody learned the true cause of Willie's change. Daniel Driver was 35 years old and attended the same church as Ellie. Daniel's mother lived in the area, and he had recently moved back to be closer to her. He was active in the church, oftentimes offering his help to the church itself or its members. He always carried a Bible around with him, and he was able to recite scripture from the top of his head without a problem. He worked at the summer camps as a dishwasher. Sounds like stand-up guy, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And it, it just reminds me of that quote from the seed thing on, was it on Peacock? Yes. Where that guy who was friends with him, you know, for a long time. What does his mom, his mama said? Mm-hmm, his mom said, whoever told you evil was ugly. Mm-hmm, yep. It's not, Yeah. And unfortunately, some really evil people like to shine themselves up and look Mm -hmm. very wholesome. But the children at the church always responded well to Daniel because he always put forth an effort to talk to them and help them. And many of the young boys looked up to him as a father figure since uh, some of their parents were divorced. So many of the mothers were thrilled with Daniel's help because they were unsure of what a boy needed from a father figure. They said that Daniel had the ability to get the boys to open up to him and just talk, which is something that they rarely, if ever, did with their moms. In the time before going to camp, Willie loved hanging out with Daniel and spending time with him. But when he got home from the camp, he did not want to be around Daniel. He fought with his sister constantly. He talked back to Ellie. And these are things that he did not do before. I think this is really important, too, as like, you know, an example of some things to keep an eye out for, to like red flags, right? Have on your radar. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a a huge change in personality. Mm Mm-hmm something's going on. Yeah. how He's angry not, just, a and shit, volatile he's not he, just being a shithead kid. Right, yeah. right. And that can be for a myriad of reasons. Like, yeah. I mean, a lot of kids do it. Like if a parent, a family, uh, I guess more a parent leaves, you know, a parent figure. I don't know. Yeah. So sometimes to give Ellie a reprieve from the constant trouble of Willie's acting out, Jan, her sister, would take him for the weekends. And about nine months or so after the camp, Jan took him for a weekend at her house with his cousins. When he was there, she tried to talk to him and get him to tell her what was going on. And that weekend, Willie was actually more quiet than normal. He was completely withdrawn from everything and everyone. But Jan kept talking to him. She kept trying to get him to open up. And finally, Willie told her that he had something to tell her, but he said she had to promise not to ever tell anyone, not even Ellie. Jan agreed and told Willie that he could tell her anything, anytime. Willie started to tell Jan about Daniel molesting him when he was at the summer camp. So Willie loved animals, and at the camp, Daniel told him he would take him alone to see frogs and other stuff, like you know, other little animals that lived in the woods. This is just this uh-huh. is just so fucking sick. It is. This it's a f- six year old child. It is the definition of predatory. Yes. Oh my gosh. <sighs> Willie followed Daniel Driver, and when they were alone, he began to molest him. Over the course of the camp, Driver raped and molested Willie. He told him that if he told anyone, he would kill him and his family. When Willie got back home, the abuse didn't stop. Driver stalked Willie and made threats against him and his family to keep Willie from talking. For several months, the abuse continued, and by the time Willie talked to Jan, Driver had skipped town and he was nowhere to be found. Jan told Willie that she knew that she made a promise, but she could not keep the secret she had to tell. So she told Ellie, and Ellie was obviously upset, but she blamed herself for not following her instincts and keeping Willie from the summer camp. Mm. And I don't feel like that's a fair pressure to put on yourself because it didn't stop at the camp. Not that it wouldn't... I don't know what would have happened if he didn't go. However, I think that someone who is a predator like this... Yeah. I don't know. I think he would have, unfortunately... Mm-hmm. he might have tried to find an opportunity wherever he could get it. I don't think that it was- Well, yeah, because all he's doing is he's building up his reputation with these parents. so to trust. In the church. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so he, you know, you're right. Eventually he would have said, if he hadn't gone on this trip, he would have been like, oh, hey, Ellie, I know you've got this or that to do. I'll pick up Willie from school for you. Sure. Yeah. I'll come watch him for the afternoon or he can come to my house for the weekend or- Right. Yeah, yeah, Whatever. Exactly. Even though Driver had skipped town, Willie still felt like he would make good on his threats. And he often came home from school crying or having panic attacks, saying that he thought that he saw Driver's car. He got headaches, he got stomach aches constantly from just the stress. So sad. It is awful. For a child. Anybody, yeah. anybody. But yes. this especially poor a child. child. I know. Yeah. The Nestler family reported everything to the police. And that's when the police ran driver's info and discovered that he had a record and history of molesting young boys. Mm. In 1984, he was accused of committing lewd acts on five boys in the San Jose area. Five. Five. One's too many, mm. but five is way too many. He was arrested, and leading up to his hearing, the people who attended church with Daniel all wrote letters to the judge, and after reading all the letters, the judge was like, okay, we'll just give him probation. He doesn't need any jail time. I mean, obviously, he's a he's a good guy. Yeah, because other because people who go to church, like... I don't know. We've got to do better. Like 100%. It wasn't the same situation, but we've, Torella specifically, if you don't mind me saying this, we've encountered something like this where somebody who is very, has a good standing in the church, very, very um, connected to a lot of church members, does something that is illegal and messed Mm -hmm. up. And then the church comes to their aid and everybody's like, he could never do something. He's not capable of doing something like this. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you're the bad guy. You're ostracized. And everybody else is like, no, 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 You know, it's just, this is messed up. Like, yeah, just because I like, think they're. <laughs> yeah, it's one thing to like look at somebody and say they're doing something wrong and I want to help them or pray for them or whatever, but they've still got to face the consequences of what they've done. And he's a danger to other people. Mm -hmm. And what does that say to these five children that he has molested? It says it doesn't, yeah, you're lying. Nobody believes you. And it doesn't matter what you've been through. Nope, it does not matter. Mm -mm. It does not matter. After this, Driver returned to live near his mother and began to date a young, or not a young woman, excuse me, a woman with a young son while working at a different summer, or church camp. The woman began to notice that Driver acted differently with her son and other young boys. She asked her son if Driver had ever touched him inappropriately, and her son said no. A few months later, though, she walked in her house and caught Driver trying to touch her son inappropriately. Okay, if you have to ask that question, I've never had to ask that question. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you're dating somebody or married to somebody or whatever, and you're like, something's not right here, and you have to ask your child, has he ever touched you inappropriately? I think something got to be wrong there. If you if you have enough of an inkling or enough mm-hmm. of a gut feeling where you're like, like I've got to check huh, maybe in with that's this. going on. Yeah. Right. 100%. But she threw him out immediately. She called a friend who worked with a district attorney. Who ran a check on Driver and they discovered that Driver had served five months in jail in 1983 for felony child molestation. My God. Repeat offender. He's not going to change. He's gonna keep moving around and hope that nobody finds out. Absolutely. And he will kill I think. I think if he had continued, he would have eventually began to kill children. Well, listen, it's not a stretch because he's already threatening. Yes, he is. And what happens to him every time he leaves a child alive, somebody eventually tells. Mm-hmm. He would eventually have gotten to getting rid of any witnesses. Well, yeah, because he's not, he's not going to stop. He's just going to mm-hmm. stop getting caught. Exactly. Exactly. After Ellie filed her complaint against Driver, the investigators began to interview other families who had dealt with Driver. The story was always the same. Typically divorced households with no father figure and he used to standing with the church to reassure them that everything was Okay. He focused on the young boys, showering with them with gifts and attention, and after abusing the boys, he threatened them and their families. Mm. Charges were filed against Driver in 1989 for molesting four different boys in the county. Driver was underground, and his whereabouts were unknown at this point, and Willie was still acting out. He got in several fights at school and became what many described as just the mean bully. In grade school alone, he had to change schools three times. In 1993, Driver was caught shoplifting in Palo Alto, California. He pled guilty to the theft charge, was transferred to face his molestation charges. So now we've got an eye on him. He's coming to hopefully get justice, right? Yeah. Once Driver was caught, the fear didn't stop for Willie, though. He began to stress and worry about having to see Driver in court to testify against him, and he would hyperventilate and vomit whenever someone asked him about it. Ellie spoke with the district attorney to try to set up a way for Willie to testify without being in the courtroom with driver, but they told her that due to his constitutional right to face his accusers, Willie would have to be in court. Yep, go ahead. We have the feelings. He's a child. Yeah. Not only is he a child, he's a victim of a violent crime. That he did not consent to nor ask for? No. No, and this really makes me mad too. With domestic violence situations, with anybody um, that has to that has to face their abuser. Yeah, um, Alice and Bota. Mm-hmm. I think about like anybody who's having to go into court and be in front of the person who did something horrific to them. Mm-hmm. That is so damaging. Yeah, There has got to be a better way. Mm -hmm. Why do you have to be in the same room? Mm -hmm. Why can't it be a video that's done? Because both attorneys can Mm cross-examine. Like, you know, both attorneys can talk to this person. The perpetrator can watch this video in court. But all having that person sit in front of them stands to do is intimidate them, scare them, hurt them like. Well, and throw them in a in an emotional spiral like, yes, it's re-victimizing them. Yes. And let me tell you, I know that I've talked about this before and it's kind of what Tori was alluding to before with the whole church thing. I just I don't want to I don't want to tell your story because that's not fair. You know what I no. mean? But yeah, I appreciate that. But this part reminds me of it, too, because I was. So terrified of the guy that I dated in high school who was very abusive to me. And our youth group leader showed up with him to court. Mm -hmm. Never once asked me any questions like, hey, did this happen or anything like that? He pled guilty to all of it, by the way, but whatever. And guess what? He was um, the youth group leader for everybody, not just this one specific person. Yeah, exactly. But this guy played drums for the church and everybody loved him and blah, blah, blah. Not only that, but everybody in my high school, uh, he after was like he was arrested, yeah. Yeah, wore t-shirts that said, this guy's name is my hero. Um, so really just to spit in my face, but anyway. Mm-hmm. And I was not the first or last person that he abused, but okay. So when we went to court, I mean, I was terrified and I was sick about it. And I, I, you know, I was like, what, 16, 17? I was probably 17. 17, I think. Yeah. And I was like... I just wanted the, what is going to have to, what is going to put me near him the least amount of times. I could not even fathom coming back to court more than once and having to do this in front of him. I was terrified of him. Mm -hmm. Even in court, I was terrified of him. I didn't know what he was going to do. He threatened to kill me so many times. He was stalking me, like all kinds of stuff. And so the attorney was like, well, you know, um, We can make a deal with him. We can do it this way. Um, It'll be expunged off his record when he's 18. So it'll go away. (laughs) But then you don't have to come back because, you know, whatever. And I said, fine. And I wish I had not done that. I wish I had had the courage to go through with so that it didn't fall off of his record because then he basically got to start over. But guess what? And I think that you know this. I hope you do. That is not fair to put on yourself because you were a child having to make this decision where the responsibility lays is with the court. They should not make somebody, a child, anybody, anybody who is a victim of abuse, they should not have to make them make that decision. Mm -mm. It does Mm -mm. not change whether or not they did it. And yes, and in this situation, it just angers me. These are tiny children. I was 17. These are tiny children. Who have been abused in the worst way possible by somebody they trusted and by somebody they trusted in the church, mm-hmm. and that has so many implications through their whole life. That that can throw their entire faith foundation. Like it's just there's just so many things that that does. Mm-hmm. There's no reason that child had to be in the same room as this man. There's just no reason for it. Absolutely. And all it does, and we're going to see that when they go to court, is it makes these children so terrified that they just want to get out of there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the defense, the whole defense team, they're going to prey on that. And we'll see that, too. So, I mean, the thing is, like in small some some cases closed court TV, close close court, closed circuit TV could be used, but unfortunately the small community didn't have the budget to set it up. So, Okay, we, what about a venue change then? Uh, hey, girl, I'm I'm hearing you. Fucking drive 45 minutes to Modesto. They got that shit. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand why they were like, "Well, there are no no other options." Sorry. I know. Yeah, no, these kids Let's have to have to revictimize and, yeah, these children. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and the decision was made that he would have to face driver in court with the other boys that he abused. <sighs> Guess who's back? Back again. School's back. Tell your kids. Okay, so we all know that back-to-school time can get hectic, and the last thing on our minds is meal planning and what to make for dinner. But you know how you can remedy that? Hello Fresh! With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh is here to make your crazy fall weeknights a little easier and a lot more delicious. They have quick and easy meals, which include 20 minute meals, low prep, and easy cleanup options, because no one, and I mean no one, wants to clean up unless you're pulling a Monica. Every HelloFresh recipe includes ripe, just-picked produce that travels from the farm to your door in less than a week. And HelloFresh isn't just for dinners. You can shop HelloFresh Market for quick breakfasts, wholesome snacks, and even desserts. You'll find everything you need to satisfy your cravings without stepping foot in a grocery store or mini-mart. So, I personally hate grocery shopping. It's cold, it's boring. I've always said grocery shopping is a very lonely business, but HelloFresh works with your schedule too. Plans are flexible and you can change your meal preferences, update your delivery day and even change your address with just a few taps on the HelloFresh app. There's always something new on the menu from family friendly to fit and wholesome or even veggie recipes. There's something for everyone to enjoy. You can easily customize your meals with Hello Custom by swapping proteins or sides, upgrading to choice proteins or even adding protein to a veggie meal. It's literally never been easier to eat your way. HelloFresh is seriously delicious. It's easy and it's affordable. I have never, not once, received a meal that wasn't amazing and it takes no time at all to make and serve up. The only issue I've ever encountered with HelloFresh is the serious sadness I have after the meal is gone. I mean, those have been some dark times. So if you want to get in on the fun, go to hellofresh.com slash 16 and use code killerclean16 for 16 free meals across 7 boxes and 3 free gifts. Again, that's hellofresh.com slash killerqueen16 and use code killerclean 16 for 16 free meals across seven boxes and three free gifts. Driver's trial was now underway and Willie along with the other boys driver molested were scheduled to testify on April 2nd, 1993. By this time, Willie was 11 years old and he would be one of the last to testify. When they got out of the car in front of the courtroom, Willie didn't even want to get out of the car. He started to hyperventilate. He started vomiting. Ellie assured him that he could do it, that he could put driver in prison so he wouldn't hurt anyone else again. And again, this is not this is not pressure that a child needs to be put through. I I just do not understand it. It's like, right. (sighs) Yeah. It's your job to make sure he doesn't do it again. Yeah. Yeah. They've already been abused. Let's abuse them. I just don't. This Mm -hmm. is it's just not right. Yeah, and they've got to have plenty of evidence if we've got—he's the, the, done it—he's bef- already been convicted of it before. Felony. Mm-hmm. And we've got how many, you know, several children, not just one. Like, you need to have enough evidence to take him to trial. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just ridiculous. Ellie, Willie, Jan, and a cousin waited outside to be called in to testify, and while they were waiting, a van pulled up, and driver exited, being transported to court. As soon as Willie heard the driver was there, he started getting sick. So Ellie grabbed a trash can for him to throw up in, and as he did, she looks over at driver as he's entering the court, and she said later that as he entered, they made eye contact, and he just smirked at her and walked in. What a smug piece of shit garbage person. piece of shit, yeah. As they waited, driver's former girlfriend exited the courtroom with her son, who had also testified. Ellie said that she shook her head, the other woman shook her head at Ellie, telling her that the trial wasn't going well for them. And she said that the boys were all so nervous that the defense attorney was using that nervousness and tripping them up during questioning. And she said she thought they were going to lose, that he would walk. I understand that it is a defense attorney's job to defend right. his client. I get mm-hmm. that. What they're doing is wrong. Yeah, Absolutely. These are children. we will just say that. Yeah, they're Mm -hmm. wrong. So Ellie said that's when she started to panic. She was thinking, you know, what are we going to do if he gets away with this? And she knew that if he was not put in prison, that Willie would never feel safe again. And she felt like she had to do something. So the courthouse they were using was old, like no metal detectors, no nothing. Many people in their small community carried weapons with them, including Jan, Ellie's sister. So Ellie walked over to Jan's purse and got the gun. Some accounts say that Ellie went to the purse to get an antacid for Willie and just happened to find the gun. Some say she went to the purse knowing that the gun was there. Either way, she got the gun and entered the courtroom and emptied the gun's six bullets towards Driver. Five of them struck him in the back of the head and neck. Witnesses and lawyers scattered. Deputies rushed in with guns drawn. And Jan jumped in front of her sister and told them not to shoot. So Ellie drops the gun. She puts her hands up. And driver was dead. Instantly, the story of the vigilante mom who served frontier justice for her son spread throughout the country, sparking a debate a debate of vigilante justice. Within a week of the killing, the small town boomed with the media. Ellie became a folk hero of sorts with the townspeople having her back. Two local banks set up defense funds for people to donate to. T-shirts and bumper stickers were made saying, nice shooting, Ellie. Mm. That might be, a little, might be a little much.
0: Yeah.
1: Many rallied around Ellie, though, saying that she did what the courts could not or would not do. She was held on a half a million dollar bail, which a Sacramento bail bondsman posted, allowing her to go home. Not everyone thought what she did was right, though. After her release, Ellie gave one interview in which she said, I may not be God, but I tell you what, I'm the closest damn thing to it. The media portrayed Ellie as the church-going lady who defended her child. Investigators discovered that there was more to the story, though. Tests would show that she was high on meth when she killed Driver. Ellie had been diagnosed with breast cancer in October of 1993 and given five years to live. She was charged with voluntary manslaughter and found guilty. And there was a, a bunch of like... There was a lot of back and forth with whether or not they were going to charge her with first-degree murder and things like that because apparently when Jan was initially asked about it, she said that she saw this gun at Ellie's house the week before or something like that. And Ellie told the police that she brought the gun with her knowing she was going to shoot this man. Then where did it come from that it was Jan's gun? Right. So, It seems like there's like a whole big article about did one sister lie to protect the other? It seems like maybe Ellie claimed that she brought the gun with her knowing what she was doing so that Jan wouldn't get in trouble. Yeah. Because Jan had a criminal record as well and was not supposed to be carrying a weapon, a concealed weapon. And so I think she was trying to like not- Protect her, yeah. Yeah. I would never do that for you. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Well, it, it's just, it's nice to be honest, okay? Well, sure, sure. I was like reading that and I was like, Tori would be like, um, she fucking did it.
0: <laughs> you yes. gotta talk to
1: her. She's the one that did it. Uh-huh. I mean, I'll pray for you. Good luck. I'm just, I'm not gonna. You know what? I wonder if this is a younger sibling thing because it is Jan younger than Ellie. I don't even know, actually. I don't, I really don't know. But I'm thinking because Jesse has gotten real good at blaming everything that happens in our house on Ben. And the other day, he went to grab a toy out of the playroom and it, it, like one of the little pieces had come off of it. You just snap it back on. It's not a problem. Not broken. Yeah. Yeah. It comes right back, you know, together or whatever. And he picks this truck up and he goes, "Ah, oh, why did Benny break this? And I was like, I didn't even have it. Like, <laughs> he didn't necessarily, how do you know he broke it? Like, I'm pretty sure you're the one that broke it, dude. But he yeah. was just like, No questions asked. Why did Ben do this? Well, Where'd actually, go, there, I have a barrette that's broken and I, uh, I don't know why you did this. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and I did. You're going to pay for it, too. Yep. So she was given 10 years. Her conviction was overturned due to jury misconduct, and she made a deal with the prosecution. So she pled guilty to manslaughter and was released after serving three years. Damn. Willie grew up in and out of the courts in jail. After Ellie went to prison, he became more angry and acted out. His first time in the criminal system was when he was 14, and between 1999 and 2004, he was booked into the county jail 18 times for various charges, including robbery, battery, weapon, and drug charges. In 2004, Willie was 23 and living on a property that the family owned, working odd jobs here and there. He was cleaning up the property along with another man, David Davis, who'd been disabled while working in the oil fields. So in June of 2004, they got into an argument about some missing tools, and the police ended up being called. While deputies were there, Willie lunged at and punched David Davis. So Willie ended up being arrested and given 60 days, but he was released after 30 days on good behavior. So he was released on July 26, 2004. Within one hour of being released on good behavior, he went back to the property and confronted Davis. Davis tried to run, but he couldn't because of his disability. Willie stomped and kicked him to death and then fled. He was caught a few days later and charged with first-degree murder, and he was found guilty and given 25 years to life. Oh, my gosh. It's just very sad. Um, before that, though, in 2002, Ellie had been arrested again for selling and possessing methamphetamine that she bought from a police informant. She bought 10,000 pseudoephedrine tablets for making meth. She pled guilty and was given six years in prison. After serving four, she was released in 2006. Then on December 26, 2008, Ellie Nessler died of breast cancer at the age of 56. And this story was made into a 1999 TV movie called Judgment Day, The Ellie Nessler Story. Mm -hmm. I think this is a prime example of, I feel so sorry for the child Mm -hmm. and what that child had to go through. But it might serve as an explanation for how they got to this place as an adult. Right. It's not necessarily an excuse. No. I don't think there's something—you just can't—you can't go around killing people, you know? No. Yeah. It's—I mean— But it's tragic. I think—yeah, I think any mom, parent, I mean— you know, anybody listening is probably like, I don't know what I would do if I was in that situation. And that was my child. And somebody had victimized my child that way. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the repercussions of that for Willie were horrific. And his sister, Rebecca, you know, they're both grown up now. Of course, he's still in prison, but they were both on Oprah as children. Um, Rebecca was on Oprah again. They did a big thing on, you know, her and Willie and all that kind of stuff. And she said, like, I don't think they blame Ellie, but she said, I think if he, if she hadn't shot this man and gone to prison, he probably wouldn't be in prison today. Sure. I mean, I can't imagine all of that having to witness and experience all of that. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a lot. And then now we've got ridiculous media on you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing because, Willie desperately wanted all of this to go away. He didn't want anybody to know this about him. And his mom, of course, not meaning to, opened everything up to the media. Like it came back in a big way because it it became not just a local story. It became a worldwide story. And so now everybody's pointing at him when they see him out on the street and being like, that's the kid that got molested. it's, it's just so sad. It, this whole thing is just so tragic. And the thing is, I mean, obviously it's such a domino effect of things Mm -hmm. that have happened to get everybody to this point. But as always, I mean, we've talked about this before, but I just, I feel so bad for the child that had Mm -hmm. to go through that. I don't condone his actions later in life, obviously, but that thing that we talked about before where yeah it's like it's one of those things where like you see how it got there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can you can see the trajectory that he was that he was mm-hmm. on. So and it started with these terrible actions that a man committed against multiple children. So Yes. Yeah. Uh we of course would love to hear your thoughts on the case. I mean what do you think you know um yeah let us know do you feel like Ellie was justi- justified do you feel like do you feel like she's not justified absolutely you know do you think that manslaughter was the right charge for her like yeah what do you think and you know there are multiple places for us to have this open dialogue of what we think but we always 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 want to just state and reiterate the fact that no matter what your opinion is let's keep it cordial. Let's keep it nice. We can agree to disagree, but we love to keep these these conversations open, but we have to do it in a safe and, and polite and kind way. Absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you guys so much for listening and hopefully we will catch you on the next episode. We love you guys so much. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.